0: On the throne of his glory. All nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say unto them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he, will dep- then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. If you will notice in verse 31, the text begins by saying this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory. This is a reference to the second coming of Christ. The Olivet Discourse is about the second coming of Christ. Jesus is answering the disciples' question and He concludes the Sermon on the Mount with this text. He doesn't say if the Son of Man comes or He might come or if you're looking, maybe He'll come. But He says when the Son of Man comes. This is a direct reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he says this, notice what he says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. It's interesting to note that in, in the different manuscripts that are still out, the older manuscripts, the more ancient manuscripts, does not have holy in that phrase. It just reads, and all the angels with Him. And the word angel, whenever you see the word angel, many times in Scripture, angel simply means messenger. For instance, in the book of Revelation, in the first uh, three chapters, when he's right unto the, the angel of the church, he's talking about the pastor. He's the messenger. It's the pastor. And so it's used in many different ways. Why do I say that? Because you and I, when we are raptured up with the Lord, when He calls us out and we meet Him in the air, and we'll be with Him. The tribulation period then will happen upon the earth. While we're up there, we'll, be, we'll judge for our rewards. Uh, we'll have the wedding supper of the Lamb up there while all this is going on down here on the earth. And at the end of the tribulation period, when Jesus Christ comes back to the earth, the second coming, when the Son of Man comes, when He comes back, we'll be with Him. We will be with Him. Revelation teaches that we will come back with Him. He will come back on a white horse, and we'll be coming back following Him. And uh, you say, well, I can't ride a horse. He'll take care of it. God's got it. It's nothing for Him to make you able to ride a horse. You'll come back with Him. Now, when He comes back, according to the Scripture, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. At the second coming of Christ, when Jesus comes back, He establishes His millennial kingdom. Millennial means 1,000. Literally, it's a 1,000-year literal reign upon this earth where Jesus Christ rules and reigns from Jerusalem. He will rule and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. He will sit on the throne of His glory. At that time, there will be what we call, refer to, the judgment of the nations. The judgment of the nations. All of the nations, these are Gentile nations, will be gathered together. That's what the text teaches. Look at verse 32. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. So, Christ will gather all the nations together. And you say, well, interesting, I've never heard of that. Well, let me tell you something even more interesting than that. If you would go back to the prophet Joel in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets, the prophet Joel, Joel writes of this in Joel chapter 3 and verse number 1 and 2. I think it will be on the screen. Notice what he prophesies. For behold, in those days and at that time, it's a specific time, When I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. So we have the prophet prophesying of what Jesus is telling the disciples right now, he's going to gather them together for the purpose of dividing them as sheep and goats. he will say verse thirty three I want the sheep on my right hand, but the goats on my left. I have raised both sheep and goats, and I will tell you goats are the dumbest animals ever. I remember one of our uh we had a pasture there right behind the garage at the church camp and I had a goat and there was a stump and I came home one day and the goats were on top of the roof of the garage and they were just up there you know running around having a good time and so I thought how am I going to get them off so I threw rocks at them and they jumped off and I realized that stump was how they got off so I went out and took a chainsaw and I cut that stump off at the ground and then I went back and I watched that goat the goat ran and went to jump up on the roof and hit the building and fell back And it stood there and looked up and looked down and looked up. and He couldn't figure out what had changed. They're not smart animals. What does that have to do with the lesson? Nothing, but it's a funny story. I just want to tell you the story. But the point I want to make is there's a a, a separation. There's a separation. Do you notice that nowhere in the Scriptures does God ever refer to His people as goats? But He does refer to them as sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And so we are told in the 23rd Psalm, He is the shepherd, and we're the sheep of His pasture. And so this is not directed to the church. This is directed towards Israel. He's going to separate them. Verse 34, and let me just say this. Why all the Gentile nations? Because the, the Bible teaches us in prophecy that in the end times, all nations will go against Israel. We're seeing it at an unprecedented rate in the United States of America. People turning their backs on Israel. And guys, it's not a political issue. It's a sin issue. It is a rebellious issue because God made a promise that I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And that's why it's important for the United States of America to stand with Israel. But we know that America is not a superpower found in the Bible in prophecy. It will either be absolved in the European Union or something will happen. And I have a good, pretty good idea. This is just my thought on it. I can't back this up with Scripture, but it looks like to me that eventually America as a whole will turn their backs on the nation of Israel. Now, please understand, I think you ought to vote for someone who stands as close to the biblical principles as possible. Well, someone said, I'm not going to vote for the lesser of two evils. Well, then you ain't going to vote for anybody because there's nobody perfect but Jesus, and he's not running for politics. So you always have to vote for the lesser of two evils. And you want to line up with someone biblically, not just whatever, socially. You want to be biblical in all that we do. And the Bible tells us this day's coming. But listen, these nations need to know. The United States needs to know that there's coming a day of reckoning in which God lines up and gathers all these Gentile nations. He divides the sheep from the goats. And then he says in verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Who's on the right hand? The sheep. Those are those who know Christ Christ. Those who have lived through the tribulation period, the only way they lived through the tribulation period is they didn't take the mark of the beast because they had faith in Jesus Christ. There will be some who are saved in the tribulation period. The Bible tells us in Romans that all Israel will turn to God. That's not a, just everybody that's born in Israel, but true Israel. Those who are repentant, those who believe, who have had circumcision of the heart, when they turn to Christ... They'll be saved. And the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus says something very interesting. He says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And he says this, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger or take you in, and, or, and when you were naked, clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison, and we, we visited you and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Now, Jesus is not telling us of the root of salvation. He's not saying the reason you're getting to heaven is because you did these good works. He is telling us the fruit of salvation. He's saying it revealed that you are righteous, that you believed in Jesus because you did these things. Because these are not natural things that the unregenerate do. So he's not talking about the root of salvation. He's talking about the fruit of salvation. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, the goats, the unrighteous. Now this is odd because I'm over here. This is my left hand and you're on the right. And you're saying, now wait a minute. But he's saying on his left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I want to stop right there and say this, because we don't hear a lot of preaching on hell anymore. Hell is real. It's not a figment of our imagination. It is not just separation from God. It's not just being put in the grave and you don't exist. That's not true. According to the scriptures right here, he said hell is a literal place that was prepared for who? For the devil and his angels. Angels Is that not what the Scripture says? Into everlasting fire. Hell is real. It's not something conjured up to scare you into believing. It's a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels, and his angels are those on the left, those who didn't believe in the Lord... And because they didn't, look at verse 42, For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister you? And he'll say, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these, the ones on the left, the goats, will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Two groups of people, the sheep on the right hand, they know the Lord, and because they know the Lord... They ministered. They did things. Their faith was evidenced through the things they did. The ones on the left are the goats. They did not believe in the Lord. They didn't care. They didn't care about anybody else but themselves. And as a result, they refused to be obedient to the gospel. They refused to uh, help anyone do anything. They go into everlasting punishment. The ones on the right go into everlasting life. So the Scripture is clear that there is an eternal punishment for those who do not believe. And this is the text, and this is three things from this text as kind of a conclusion to Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And these three things, and I'll tell you, and then we'll be finished. Number one, at His coming, it's too late to prepare. All throughout all of these parables that he has given, the whole point was to be ready. The scripture says when he comes. When he comes, is too late to, to try to hurry up and get things right. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. He will come as a thief in the night. He is not going to announce it. When you hear it, it's, when you see him, it's too late. Now those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved and were part of the church, we don't have to worry about this. You're saved, you will participate in the rapture. When the trump sounds, you're gone. And it's going to be so fast, you're not going to have time to think about it. Corinthians says it's in the moment of the twinkling of an eye. I was reading someone said something about a blink happens so quickly, so so many seconds, and a twinkle... Can't even be measured. It's that quickly. Isn't that amazing? The words that God uses is so apropos. And he says, listen, in the moment of twinkling out, we're out of here, guys. We will be out of here. And so it is too late to prepare when he's coming. It reminds me of the folks who live way out in the country. And the girl was pregnant. The wife was pregnant. And she tried every way in her, in her world to get her husband to go with her and take some classes and learn all this and learn how to deliver a baby in case something they couldn't get into town. And he said, ah, we've got all the time in the world. She would get after him repeatedly, and he would tell her, listen, we've got this. You're nine months. You'll probably be late. We don't have to worry about this. It's, it's going to be okay. We don't have to worry about it. Let's just go on and don't worry about it. Well, one day she gets to the top of the steps and she says, Honey, I think it's time. And he said, Well, uh, I'm not ready. I gotta get things ready. And she said, Honey, listen, I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter if you're ready or not, he's coming. And it and that's a, a poor illustration to use but it's, it, it's, it's trying to teach the principle that Christ is coming, we ought to be preparing. Church, we ought to be, even though we won't be in the second coming, the rapture is going to happen before the second coming, we ought to be becoming more like Jesus every day. We ought to be growing in our faith. We ought to be growing in our service, our worship to God Almighty and to the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing this text teaches and all the other parables teach us, We serve Him by serving others. We serve Him by serving others. Jesus is saying, listen, Jesus doesn't want a bunch of self-righteous people not helping anyone, not making a difference to anyone, just sitting around in their own palaces, waiting for His return, not doing anything. That's not what Jesus wants. He wants us, He wants us To help people. He wants us to help feed them. He wants us to help give them drink when they're thirsty. He wants us to help them with clothing and visit them and pray for them and do what we can to help them. Would you turn with me to James chapter 2? James takes the approach. uh, Some people take issue with what James says in James chapter 2 about faith and works. But you have to understand that James is coming from the perspective of man. He's not coming from the perspective of God. Galatians is written from the perspective of God that we're saved by nothing but faith alone in Christ. And our works cannot save us. Romans teaches that. Galatians teaches that. Ephesians teaches that. And what he is saying here, James is telling us from man's point of view, listen to me, verse 14, What does it profit my brethren? My, okay, it's a man's point of view. My brethren, what good is it to them if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of food and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, or I'll pray for you but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit him? What good has your faith been to that person who has need? Thus, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. James' whole point of view is this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the only way people are going to see that you are a true believer is if you have works. You're not doing works to be saved. You're only saved by faith in Christ. But the point Jesus said, if you've done it the least of these, one of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. And so what Jesus wants people to understand, he wants us to understand, the church to understand, that we're not just to sit in the pew, soak and sour, but we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Our faith should cause us to do things. Now listen, there's a difference in doing our faith, causing us to do works and help people, and helping people so that we get credit for it. I don't want any glory, but you don't want any glory, but you shout it loud enough for everybody to hear. That's not the kind of works that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about, from a pure heart, because you love Jesus, helping the hungry. Has anyone in here ever really, 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 really been hungry? I mean, like you've gone four or five days without food. Most of us will go home and have three meals from now to bedtime. And most of us have cupboards full of food. You know there are people in our land, perhaps around us in our community, that don't have food? There's a commercial that bothers me. I see it all the time. And it's it's a woman coming home from work. She's got two kids. And she has one bowl of soup and she splits the soup between her kids. And I believe that there are people in America like that. Perhaps you've encountered one when you've been eating at a restaurant and the young lady's been waiting on you and she's a single mother and she's doing her best trying to wait tables and trying to take care of her kids. And you say, well, there's a bunch of organizations to help them, but what if God put it in your heart to help them? You say, well, I never see people like that, are you looking? I would like to do better of this myself. I remember one time we were on our way to Camp Jerry. There was a whole caravan from this. We had rented Camp Jerry in West Virginia, and we were driving, and when we were going to Huntington to get out on the interstate. And we came up, and there was a woman in Huntington, and she was, she was hungry. And we looked around, and we had all the food packed up. And I had a big bag of M&Ms. I, I love peanut M&Ms, but I try not to eat them anymore because they're just pure calories. But, man, they're good. Can I get an amen? But anyways, all I had was a bag of M&Ms. And I said, ma'am, that's all I got. Would you like it? And she took that in a bottle of water, and she was thrilled to death. And I know some of you have done that. I know many of you have perhaps approached me during Christmas time and said, hey, listen, we'd like to help somebody. If somebody has a need, would you let me know, Pastor? I know there are people who abuse the system. And there have been people we bought... One time we bought a family beds. There was a bunch of kids in the house and none of them were sleeping in beds. And the church got together and we went and bought them beds. We found out later that the parents took the beds back and got the money. It wasn't a kid's fault. It's the parents. But guess what? God will take care of them. You know what God said? It's better for them to have a millstone hung around their neck and cast in the sea than it is to offend one of those little children. So I stand before you and I tell you this. Jesus is telling us that we serve Him by serving others. That's what this parable is about. Oh, you're worried about the second coming. You're worried about the kingdom. You're worried about this. Let me tell you what you worry about until He comes. You worry about letting your faith Help others. And then the last thing he tells us. Those who reject him go to a literal hell. It's not popular anymore. And people do not want to hear messages on hell. But do you know, I am told, I have not verified this myself, but I am told that Jesus spoke more about hell than he did heaven. And in our churches, we're so afraid that if we talk about hell, we might offend someone and they won't want to come to our church. Well, listen, I would rather them not want to come to our church but hear the gospel and believe and avoid going to hell. Well, it's just, you know, today we've got to be positive. I'm positive Jesus doesn't want you to go to hell. That's why I died on the cross. Well, you can't scare the hell out of people. Well, no, you can't, but we need to tell them anyways. I came near when I, was at, <laughs> when I was at Abundant Life. I was the youth director, and we had church camp. We'd have 60, 70, 80, almost 100 kids, and we, we lost a cup. I showed The Burning Hell. It was a movie by S.S. Perkle, and I didn't get parents' permission. I didn't know. I was aloof. I just was praising God and going on, and I, at that point in time in my life, I was just like, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission. I showed Burning Hell, and three counselors went home. Adult counselors scared them to death. It's a depiction that they took the Bible and it's a depiction of what hell would be like. And I mean, it was, it was graphic. I got in a little bit of trouble. I didn't mean to, but I mean, come on. I'm not talking about it. it's not going to go away. And this is what's important. This is what's important, guys. We've lost sight of what's important in our land. It takes very little effort to hand someone a gospel track. A good friend of mine, he and I are talking about it every day, and we've challenged each other to do better witnessing this year personally. We're accountable to each other. When we talk about it, we talk about it. And uh, it doesn't take any effort when you go through the drive through to say, hey, read this on your break and hand them a gospel track and go on. It takes very little effort. takes very little effort to stand and tell someone about Christ and what He did for you. You say, I don't know how to tell them about... Yeah, you do. Tell them what Jesus did for you. Your testimony is your best witness. What Christ did for you. How He changed you from a sinner going to a literal hell into a saint going to heaven with Him forever. When we read this text, there's three main things He says in here. Number one, when he comes, he's coming. you got to be ready. Number two, if you've done it unto the least of these things, you've done it unto me. We serve him by serving others. And lastly, as he said to those on his left hand, he says, depart from me, you cursed. Enter into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Warn people about hell. That's how he concludes it. The disciples want to know when you're going to set up your kingdom so we can be a part of your kingdom so we can be Israel. And he says, no. While you're waiting, there's some things that you and I should be doing. We can make excuses. We can blame everything. The culture, people are not receptive to it today. That's just the devil telling us this culture is no different than any other culture when it comes to accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There will be those who reject it, who don't want to hear it. But you still give it and let God do its work. The power, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Don't try to morally clean people up. Tell them about the gospel. Tell them about Jesus and the cross of Calvary. That's the leveling. Everybody is level it's level at the foot of the cross. That's where it has to come, and that's what we need to do until he returns. That is the Olivet discourse. It's not about the church; it's about Israel. And if it stands to reason, if Israel at the second coming, the second coming happens after the rapture of the church. If we're waiting on the Lord to come back for the rapture of the church, we're going to be ready for Him. While we're here, we need to love and serve Him by serving others. And we needed to warn people about hell that's what we do while we wait for the rapture of the church because that's what he told Israel to do as they wait for his second coming okay that's all I got to say father we love you we praise you and I ask you Lord,